We are here in 1 Peter chapter 1, the final verses of this incredible first chapter. And my life has been richly blessed by studying this letter and some of the themes that have been found here. I remember those first 12 verses that spoke of the glorious salvation that God has for His people and how it begins with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that God of all mercy who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it focused on the work of the Father, and then it focused on the work of the Son, and then it focused on the work of the Spirit, that glorious salvation. And, and, the, and He encouraged us to meditate on those things. And then we started another section that dealt with our journey in life. What should our life look like under the sun? What is the purpose of life? And we noted that there were a number of imperative commands that were found in the opening verses. And the first command that we looked at, which you've seen me emphasize over and over again for the past number of weeks, is that He's encouraging us to fix our hope completely on the grace that's going to be brought to us at the coming of Jesus Christ. And through the midst of all of our trial and struggle, he says, look through it. Look through the gloom. Look through the darkness. Look through the absolute moral collapse of the world. I heard John the MacArthur, MacArthur one of the preachers that I read, I read his, his sermons. I, I don't think in the 20 years that I preached that I have not read John MacArthur, just about every time I prepare a sermon, I have his commentaries. He has a website called Grace to You where you can actually go and listen to his sermons and read them. But he was on national news this week. And I heard him make this statement, and it was so true. He made reference to the absolute moral collapse of the United States, a place where prior to being born you can be aborted and that now the move is to abort those babies clear up till the time of their conception. We have new leadership that agrees to abortion to the time of birth. And leadership that has changed its stance on whether or not I, as a, an American, have to pay for that abortion, even though it's against my conscience. And they've reversed their position and said, yes, they support taxpayer-funded abortion. So if you're happy to survive birth in America when you're a child... They can use you in movies and take advantage of you as a young girl. Or if you can get past those early years and become a teenager, 
you've got the encouragement today that you need to transgender as a young woman when you're in high school, that you're arriving at that. And you know this past week that a book came out that was questioning that whole issue. And immediately, that book was banned. It was going to be sold. And they pulled it off of the market, and then they put it back on. And the woman that penned that book was outed, and cancel culture came at her with a tremendous force. You see, that's not allowed today. And then if you're fortunate to be born and get through early childhood without having them use you in Netflix movies and can get through your teen years, you'll wind up as an adult hooked on drugs, legalizing drugs all over the country. And then the total collapse of marriage and morality and pornography, moral decline. That's where we are today. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. The book tells us so. And so we've got to be able to look through it and fix our hope completely on the grace that's going to be brought to us. And if you can recall, there was a second command. And it was a command to be holy. A command to be set apart for the purpose of God and the plan of God, the will of God, the way of God. To look at him in his unique character and determine that I as a believer am to be an image bearer of my creator in this life. So fix your hope completely on the grace. Fear, be holy. And then we saw a third one. Fear God. To have a reverential fear and awe of our creator knowing that he's a God who judges, that I'm going to answer to the Creator, fear him. But we come to a fourth imperative command in this chapter. And as I read the text, you're going to see that I've highlighted it in bold black. It's an imperative command in verse 22. And surrounding this imperative command, and you've been learning a little bit about interpreting your Bible, and understanding your Bible, when I've pointed out participles. And there's two of them that surround this command. One of them is in verse 22, and it's the participle purified. And the second of it, one is found in verse 23, for you've been born again. And the command is fervently love. Fervently love. Since you've been purified, fervently love. 
fervently love because God has caused you to be born again. So with that in mind, let's, let's read the text. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word of the gospel which was preached to you. One of the titles that I gave this text as I was studying it was God's Supernatural Love demonstrated in the lives of his obedient children. And another thought I had as I was going through this text is the contrast between the eternal and the temporal. The eternal gospel that brings about a new birth and contrast that with our life under the sun. He makes reference to your souls in verse 22. And then he makes reference to flesh in verse 24. You and I, our souls. Many times to describe the, the, the human being, we're called souls. We are also spirits that live in what? A body. We live in flesh. And we have all discovered the truth of verse 24, and that is this, that all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. Isn't that true? And think of Palestine uh, over there where you'd have the the, the rocky fields and the dry culture, you would have the grass that would push its way up through the sand. And ever so often, you would find a flower that would pop up there, a flower of brilliant color. And yet, the grass would wither. And while there would be the beauty of a flower for a moment in time, the beauty would fade and the petals would fall off and the flower would be no more. From time to time, you take flowers home from this place, right? You take them home, and you put them in the water and sprinkle in that special little powder that's supposed to keep it alive. But in a few days after enjoying it, you throw it into the trash can. It's gone. 
And the Scripture uses that as an illustration of our lives. We're here today, and we're gone tomorrow. Death is the great equalizer. It takes us all. And it doesn't matter who you are. You may be rich, or you may be poor, but death will take you alike. You may be a person that has absolute obscurity. And then you might be an individual that's known by everyone in the world. But death will take them both. You might be living in abject poverty. Or you might be a multiple billionaire. You might be a Bill Gates or a pauper under the scaffold in Manhattan. But death is the great equalizer. It will take you all. And the glory of fame and the glory of possessions and the glory of wealth and the glory of power, it fades. And it is no more. That is us, natural people, life under the sun. You want to see a philosophy of life? Read Ecclesiastes. And he describes life, and the key phrase is, under the sun. Life as it is down here. Written by Solomon, one of the wisest people that's ever lived. And he talks about having pleasure abundantly, multiple lovers, he talks about having power. He talks about having position, having it all. And he comes to the end of his life, and he says, this is what life's all about. Fear God and obey Him. I wonder how you view your life. I wonder... If you know what is eternal, well, this text tells us what's eternal. You might have a soul and flesh that fades away, that was created by corruptible seed, and it disappears in time. Or you can have a new birth. Not a natural birth, but a new birth. A new birth that is described in a number of ways here in the text. In verse 23, my ability to love fervently is because I have been born again. Your ability to love people in this manner, and we're going to touch on what it means in a moment can only come to you because you have been made to be born again. And the text uh, lists that word in the passive tense. You didn't cause yourself to be born again any more than you caused yourself to be naturally born. The seed of your father was planted and you came into the world naturally. For you to be born again a seed that is not corruptible, has to be planted in you. 
And that seed will cause you to be born again, born from above, born by God Himself. This is a divine birth. And the seed that God uses to bring this birth about is none other than the seed of His Word. That enduring Word. That, that, and there are two words in this text to talk about the Word. One of those, the words is the Greek word logos. It talks about the entire message of the Bible. Take all 66 books, put them all together, and you've got a message. You've got a logos. That's found here in the text. But then there's another word that's used in the Scripture. And it's the Greek word rhema. And that's found in verse 25. And this is the rhema of the gospel. So you've got a Bible that has a message. And the message of the Bible from the beginning to the end is how man can find new life in Christ. That's what the book is all about. And yet within the Logos, there are sections. There's rhema. There's individual words that elaborate on this Logos message, that great message of God's gospel, that great message found in in John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, this new birth experience comes from God Himself. And he has an incorruptible seed. It's his word. It's the word of God. And this word of God is living. It's the living word of God. It's alive. It has the ability to produce life. And it's enduring. It will never end. The living, enduring word of God. The incorruptible word of God. This word that is preached. Do you know that God uses the preaching of His gospel to save His elect? You need new life that transcends the natural life that you have. The Lord Jesus was speaking to people and he, that were outside of faith. They had never trusted Him And he said, you're natural, you don't believe, and because of that, you can't love fervently. People are naturally selfish, aren't they? Yes or no? Yeah. We look at the mess in the world. We look at the division in this country. We hear the voices crying for all kinds of things with all kinds of solutions. The new world order wants to bring about a better earth. And yet they're leaving out the ingredient that will bring it about. They're leaving out the the transforming gospel of God. It's left out. We've gone through a political season. Did you hear any candidate running for the House, running for the Senate, running for the White House? 
Did you hear a single candidate call this nation back to God, the fear of God? Did you hear any candidate preach the gospel of Christ? Did you hear it? Yes or no? No. Because they're seeking to see this established. Because demonic spirit and Satan himself is trying to create a utopia on the globe in which Satan will be worshipped apart from the gospel of God. America needs a fear of God and America needs a new birth experience to bring about the racial healing. God has the power in His gospel to make us all look at one another with an intense love. That comes from within. It comes from the heart. It doesn't come from legislation. It comes from redemption. Are you hearing me? We're pursuing all these things apart from God. And it'll never last. It'll never endure. This Word of God is what brings it about. But I want you to see something else in this text about this new birth experience for you've been born again. And so because of that new birth experience, you can fervently love this command He has for us. But there is a second participle found in verse 22. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls. Do you know what the gospel of God does? It purifies. We look at our lives and they're corrupt, full of filth, and people are crying to be delivered from all of this. They want purification. And God's gospel brings this. He takes our filthy, sinful lives and He purifies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, and by the way, in this whole context, He's talking about a lot of wickedness and sinfulness in, um, in humanity. He talks about people that will never enter His kingdom. He talks about fornicators and idolaters and adulterers and effeminate and homosexuals and thieves and covetous and drunkards, and revilers, and swindlers. And he goes on and on and on in this text. And he says, these type of people will never enter my kingdom. But having said that, he goes on and he says this, but such were some of you, but now you're, you know this verse? You're washed. You're purified in the sight of God. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. You've become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Christ Jesus gave himself that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, he saved us 
not on the basis of deeds that we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration. And Hebrews chapter 9 says this, that Christ, when he had made purification of sins, sat down on the right hand of God. You know what you get in Christ? Purification. Cleansing. You're clean. Have you ever wondered why the rite of baptism involves water? <coughs> you ever thought of that? Have you ever wondered why in the very conception of a child that prior to the birthing of that child there is the breaking of water? And we could go on and on. There are a lot of things in Scripture that speak of purification. Things you have to do and rituals you go through to demonstrate purification. And I believe with all of my heart that God has put these things together on the natural level that we might understand the spiritual level. When we're born again, my friends, we're purified. And why even in the home environment, in marriage itself, God sets it up not by creating all of us at the same time. He could have done that, right? just like he did the angels. But why did he determine that man would fill the earth through the planting of seed and the birthing of children? And then having the husband give an instruction to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. And then it talks about that husband using the Word of God to sanctify his wife, to purify his wife. Why all of that? And then why does God instruct the woman that she is to rank herself under the husband in obedience to the husband? Is that because man is superior to women? And you know the answer to that question, absolutely not. We are equals. But in the structure of God, Eve was taken from Adam, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And yet the instruction of God was a structure within the family that speaks of purification and submission. And the reason for that is in the new birth, not only are we purified, but verse 22, you have in obedience to the truth. Something happens in the life of a believer. When God saves you and plants His incorruptible nature within you, he radically changes you. He gives you a new birth to describe it. It's like being born again, born from above. And not only are you purified, but He places within your mind a desire to obey Him. 
an un, a disobedient believer is not a believer. Now, I'm not talking about obeying God perfectly all your life. But I am stating to you that the message of God's gospel from the very beginning and the emphasis of the new covenant, and didn't Christ, when we took that bread and cup, make reference to the new covenant in His blood? There's a new covenant in His blood? Do you know that that comes out of the prophet Ezekiel's prophecy? Where God is looking at the nation that are not born again, a people that can't be obedient to Him, a people whose heart has not been circumcised, and He comes to them and He says this, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to circumcise your heart and something's going to take place. He says, you are going to obey my law because you love me. And I'm going to do it through the Spirit. The new birth involves not only purification, but my friends, the new birth changes your, radically changes you so that you desire to obey. If you love me, keep my commandments. God is love. The very nature of God is love. And have you ever viewed the Ten Commandments as a manifestation of love? Have you ever seen them, the first four, as a manifestation of your love for God? And then see the last six as a manifestation of your love for your neighbor and your love for your family? If I loved God with all of my heart, I would recognize that there's one God alone and none other. I'll acknowledge the supremacy of God. I'll acknowledge that He's my creator. I'll acknowledge that He has authority, and I'm the one who is to be obedient to Him. I'm not going to take His name in vain. I'm going to honor the character of God. And I'm not going to have a false representation of God. I'll not make an idol in the image of anyone else. And I will look at the day that He has sanctified weekly and monthly and festally all through the Bible, and I'll discover that the day of rest is a commemoration of the creation and the redemption. And every, I think of this, every Sabbath, weekly Sabbath in this place, I'll think of the fact that we are doing something on Sabbath day that manifests we love our neighbors. And I'll preach the gospel of God in commemoration of the redemption. And I'll call on the people to acknowledge that God is their creator. Those are the first four. And we do those things because we love God. But what about the last six? If my children loved their father and their mother, they would obey their father and mother. If I love my wife as I ought and she loves me as she ought, there will not be the committing of adultery. If I love my neighbor as I ought, I won't take the things that belong to my neighbor. I won't covet my neighbor's possessions. I won't bear a false witness about my neighbor. I'll not trash their testimony. 
It's because I love them. My friend, when God causes us to be born again by that incorruptible seed of His Word that is living and enduring and powerful, it's gospel, it's good news, when He brings us to that new birth experience, we can love fervently. And there are two words used for love in this text. One of them is the Greek word Philadelphia little city down the highway there called Philadelphia. What does the word Philadelphia mean? City of what? Brotherly love. Family love. You see, when the change takes place in your heart, you're going to love the family of God. Frank, I, many times I have heard you say over and over again to this congregation, that we're family here, and we love one another. God puts that in our heart. And the great command is to have brotherly love for one another. And it's a, it's a command, brotherly love, that is sincere, the text says. And what an interesting word. We get our English word hypocrite from it. And it was a word that was used by the ancient Greeks when they were putting on a play. And the actors would have the mask on their face and they were playing the part of another. And the text is saying that when you have this new birth experience, God will give you a love for the family that's sincere. They're no mask. It's genuine. It's real. We have family love, and we've been able to experience that on the natural level. God allows us to have children and family, and I'll be honest with you. I've got a closer relationship with my kids and my wife than I do all of you because they're my family. You get that. There's family love, and yet there's a love that God is calling His people to, that is greater than family love. And in this text, the command is agape love. Love stretched out. Love that's fervent. That word fervent is kind of a physiological word that talks about anatomy. And it's the picture of a, a person that's like an athlete and they're running as hard as they can and their legs are stretched out like a horse that's galloping and the strain is there. They're going all the way in, all the way out. This is the type of love he wants us to have, and it's agape love. It's not just family love. It's a love of the will. It's not just an emotional thing. Trust me, as we read the text about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I know my wife's here in the room. She knows me better than anybody else. And she knows that sometimes I get a little irritable. Now, I know none of you are like that. Love doesn't get irritable. Because love is, this type of love is not just an emotion. It's an act of the will. It transcends my feelings. I make a decision 
to love. And not only that, the word agape speaks of a self-sacrificing love. It's where I say that I am going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to sacrifice my time. I'm going to sacrifice my talent. I'm going to sacrifice my treasure. I am going to do something that benefits other people, and it's going to cost me something. That's the love in this text. And I'm to do it stretched out. But I would have you know that it says love one another. It's reciprocal. You cannot be a part of the family of God and sit in a corner and let everybody else love on you. You're to respond with the same self-sacrifice that seeks the welfare of another. And that is the word that's used in the marriage text where it says that the husband is to love his wife. Mark it down. Shereen and Chad engaged to be married. They're going to have a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture of family love. And the determination of Chad is going to be that I'm going to love Bill Jones's daughter. Remember, she's my daughter. I'm going to love Cherie sacrificially. Because this is how God loves me. And God is love. And I want the image of God and the character of God flowing through my life to my wife. And then Cherie is going to say, I am going to follow my husband's leadership and rank myself under him because in the new birth experience, God has changed my heart and made me obedient to him. And I manifest that obedience to God as an expression of my love. These are beautiful things. The call to love. And I close by just sharing some of the verses that are found all the way through the New Testament. We can't share them all. But you're very familiar with some of these verses that deal with love. Just listen to some of them as we close. The love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts. Romans 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. John chapter 13, the Lord said this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. Romans 12, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to the Philippian believers, and he tells them that they are to maintain the same love for one another. That self-sacrificing love 
for one another. 1 John chapter 3. You know, we all know John 3.16. You know 1 John 3.16? And it says this, We know love by this. How do we know love? What does it look like? He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. And whoever has this world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart off to the need for food and clothes and other necessity, he says this. How does the love of God abide in him? By this, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. And he gives them a big list of theology. Is that what he does? He said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. You see, the answer to the world's problem is a God-given new birth supernatural love that looks around, loves God, loves the people of God, and then loves their neighbor just like they love themselves. Everyone that is born of God loves his brother. Did you know that? Do you have this supernatural love? Do you have a desire to just look around at the family? And we got a diverse family here, don't we? You got to put up with me. You see, you just thought my wife had to put up with me. You got to put up with me. You look around. And you say, God, I'm going to sacrifice myself and do what these people need because I love them. And I've been born from above. For everyone who is born of God and knows God loves. 1 John 4. 1 John 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child that's born of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So we end this chapter being reminded of the greatest command, which is to love God with all my heart, with all my strength, with all of my soul, and then to love my neighbor as myself. You've been born from above.
seed been planted in you? He created the initial man and woman and plants and animals. He created them with his voice, his word. But then he chose that every subsequent life, whether it be a flower or an animal or a man, would come into existence through seed that's been planted. You've been born from above. You have this radical change, this new nature, this circumcised heart that makes you desire to obey God and love people? Have you been purified? Is the direction of your life obedience? If that's not true about you, you need to be born again. And God can do it. Do you desire it? Does your heart cry out for it? Do you hear the voice of the Spirit of God? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Is faith awoken in your heart to look away to Christ and live? Oh, my friend, call on the name of the Lord. And you'll be saved. Those of us that have been birthed into the family of God, let us have the love of our Father fervently stretched out in self-sacrifice for His glory alone. Let's pray together.